All right. Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy again, chapter 2 and chapter 3. It was Paul J. Meyer that said, Experience proves that most time is wasted, not in hours, but in minutes. A bucket with a small hole in the bottom gets just as empty as a bucket that is deliberately kicked over. Started talking about this last week. I don't want to be a leaky bucket in the kingdom of God, do you? I certainly don't want to be one that's kicked over, but I don't even want to waste minutes in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, and leak into uselessness. And the truth of the matter is, your bucket, my bucket, doesn't have to leak, and you can hold out the light that God has given you in Christ. We are in the middle of our study of the uh, second letter to Timothy from Paul. Paul writes to the young pastor of the church at Ephesus, Timothy. And in this letter, we're we're considering the, the letter under this heading, Gospel Emboldened Endurance for Jesus' Gospel Gathering. Paul's concern, it's the last letter he would write, it's sort of his last will and testament. He's, he, he's, he's going to be signing off soon because Nero is going to behead him. Just a few miles outside the city of Rome, the dogs will eat his body. He won't even have a proper burial. The greatest missionary of all time, God's chief apostle to the nations. And his concern as he comes to the end of his life is that Timothy get this that there should be in the local church gospel-emboldened endurance. That no matter what comes, even a martyr's death, even opposition and persecution from without, trouble and false teaching within, there must be gospel-emboldened endurance in Jesus' gospel gathering, which is the church, which is us, the ecclesia of Christ. In our text for this morning... Paul is drawing, as we have already had it read to us, a clear contrast between useful and useless professing believers in the body of Christ. In verse 20, he calls them vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Listen to that verse one more time. Now in a great house, and such is the kingdom of God, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. And the contrast being drawn here, to make it a little more vivid for you, it would be the dinner plates that serve you your life-sustaining meals, vessels of honor, and the buckets that the waste is taken out of the house in, vessels of dishonor. Which am I? Which are you today? I want us to leave here today knowing how we can be sure that we are always and only The title of today's message, Useful and Unashamed. We're looking at part two of this message, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through chapter 3, verse 9. We've read the text. We're not going to reread it in its entirety again. We'll take it as we go. Here's the take-home truth. As we think about being useful and unashamed, we can be shaped by the gospel so that we are useful to and unashamed before our Father. We can live lives that aren't leaky bucket lives that aren't just killing time in this world and wasting time for the kingdom of God. Last week, we saw the first three characteristics of useful and unashamed Jesus followers and gospel gatherings. These characteristics, Paul is writing specifically to a pastor and telling him how to be a pastor, but these characteristics should characterize every believer. More than that, they should characterize every local church. We saw the first three last Sunday. They were these, faithfulness to God's word. 
in verse 15. Holiness in God's family, verses 19 and 20. And thirdly, last week, purity in God's house, verses 21 and 22. Today we'll look at the last three characteristics. We'll look at four, five, and six today. We'll look at, uh, number four, discernment for gospel clarity. We'll look at, fifthly, gentleness in gospel correction. And finally, we'll consider commitment to gospel discipline. Three more characteristics that we must have as individuals and as a church if we're to be useful and unashamed in the kingdom of God. We can be shaped by the gospel. That's how it comes so that we are useful to and unashamed before our Father. The fourth characteristic then of useful and unashamed Jesus followers and Jesus gatherings that will endure even in suffering is discernment for gospel clarity. Look at verse 14, and then we'll skip down to verse 16 and, and, and so on. In verse 14, Paul says, Remind them of these things, Timothy, and charge them before God. Remind them who they're standing in front of at all times, who they live their lives before, not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins. The word is where we get our, our English word catastrophe. It, it, it'll have catastrophic effects, Timothy. It only ruins the hearers. Verse 16. But avoid irreverent babble. Have you ever heard any irreverent babble? You've been around the church, you've been in the world for very long at all. If you just lived, you've heard irreverent babble. Avoid irreverent babble, Timothy, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Avoid irreverent babble. Why? Because that kind of talk, that, that, that loose lip, irreverent speech will lead to more and more ungodliness in the body of Jesus Christ and that talk will spread like gangrene. What does gangrene do to your foot, let's say? Say you get gangrene in your foot. What's actually happening to your foot? It's rotting. And it usually starts somewhere at that extremity and does what? Works its way, it's way up your leg if it's not caught in time, right? Timothy, let me tell you, let me tell you what we're talking about. We're not talking about, we're not playing games here. We need to have discernment for gospel clarity because when we allow a reverent Bible to go on, it's like letting gangrene grow up your foot, rot up your leg in the body of Christ. More and more, you can, you can bank on it. It won't go away, it won't heal itself, it will rot the body of Christ progressively. Among these false teachers, these who were uh, participating in irreverent babble and, and, and quarrels over words were Hymenius and Philetus. We know Hymenius, he's come up before in the letters to Timothy. He was one of the elders of the church at Ephesus at one time. He had been basically excommunicated by Paul in a previous visit. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already Happened. That is the resurrection of the dead. Jesus has come back. Nothing's changed. Who knows where all they went with that teaching? We don't know. They are upsetting the faith of some. And then skip to verse 23, where another round of commands and, and, and direct address about this kind of talk comes. Have nothing to do 
with foolish, the word is moros, it sounds like moron, and it's exactly what it means. It's where we get our word moron. Have nothing to do with moronic, stupid, foolish controversies. Ignorant is the next word. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant. The word there is paduo. It has to do, that, that word is, is a root for our, our, our word pediatric, pediatrician, all things to do with children. But using this context, it's used negatively. Paul says, have nothing to do with untrained, unskilled, senseless, infantile controversies. Have nothing to do with the acting like babies controversies in the church. Y'all all right? I mean, I'm just reading the text. You know they breed quarrels. So these are things we have nothing to do with, to avoid, deal with, because Philippians 4 verse 8 says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what are these things? What does that list in, in, in Philippians 4 8 really describe? Does it not, in fact, describe the Word of God and the Gospel of God? Isn't that really what he means when he talks about those things that are praiseworthy and, 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 and good and pure and all the rest? Let me just ask you, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any ideas that are worth thinking about on your own apart from Jesus Christ? I don't. And I'm doubtful based on the Word of God that you do. You see, the whole point is our minds need to be shaped, our hearts need to be reshaped by the gospel and by the word of the living God. So Paul says, avoid all of the talk, all of the noise, all of the chatter, the controversies, the quarrels that cloud the gospel. You need to have discernment for gospel clarity. What must happen in the local church is that the gospel must be just like a shining beacon, clear, unfiltered, unencumbered, laser-focused. And all the noise from our minds and sinful hearts, if let go, is like gangrene that kills the light. It rots the body of Christ, and therefore it can't be let go. It must be addressed. We can, you see. Be shaped by the gospel so that we are useful to and unashamed before our Father. The discernment we need for gospel clarity comes through constant study and soaking in and application of the Word of God. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to be in the Word of God so that we avoid the kind of gangrene described here that hurts the church. Are you doing your part? Chad, what do you mean? Are you in the Word? Is your mind being formed? You see, if you're not in the Word daily, then you are not doing the body of Christ a favor. You are allowing the the possibility and an opening in the body of Christ where some of this crazy talk can kick up, where these ideas that are disastrous and and destructive can, can, can find a seedbed in your heart and out your mouth. And so we have a responsibility one to another to be in the Word of God as 
2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All scriptures breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It helps us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Listen, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word will keep your bucket from leaking. That's what that verse, that's what those verses are about. You'll be useful in the kingdom. You can stand unashamed in the kingdom of God. You don't have to be one that, that is likened unto in this passage gain green, rot in the body of Jesus Christ. The fifth characteristic of useful and unashamed Jesus followers and Jesus gatherings that will endure even in suffering is gentleness in gospel correction. Notice verse 24. Or having just described the vessels of honor versus the vessel of dishonor, Paul says, the Lord's servant, and he's specifically focusing on the office of pastor here, the pastor here, but certainly, again, this is applicable. The pastor is just an example for the rest of the flock. He's the under-shepherd. He's not the, he's not, he's not the boss. Christ is the head of the church. Amen? And so this is for you, not just for me. It is for me, but it's for you. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You see, we must have gentleness, according to these verses, in gospel correction. God, if we'll do that, if, if that's how we'll live in, 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 in a situation where there's, there's a quarrel going on, where there's some misunderstanding of the truth of God, some misapplication in life of the Word of God, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Those are weighty words, and we'll revisit them in a minute. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We must have gentleness in gospel correction. John MacArthur says of the pastor especially. He has to preach the truth against the lies. But he never descends to a fight. He is kind. There's a soft authority. There's a gentleness in demeanor in dealing with those in error. Never harsh, never abusive, never overbearing, never unkind, easy to approach, easy to speak to, sensitive, tender, Real power is the ability to know the truth, to have the truth, and to be under complete control. That's meekness. Power under control. We're talking about power that never gets angry, power that isn't self-defensive and self-protective and self-exalting. A meek person never defends himself because he knows he doesn't deserve to be defended. But... A meek person speaks the truth, and because of that truth, the truth of the Word of God, the truth of the gospel of God, he is willing to confront and correct erroneous doctrine and erroneous behavior, all for the good of the professing brother or sister, and ultimately and always for the glory of the Savior who died and rose again. Why? Why the necessity of the confrontation? Because, as the text says, through correction... God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, literally come out of their drunkenness on sin and pride, come out of their fog of lies and anti-gospel living, 
And listen to these words, escape the snare of the devil. Having been held captive by him to do his will. Did you hear those words? This is serious stuff. That can happen in the body of Christ. It was happening in the body of Christ at Ephesus. You see, getting the truth of the gospel right and keeping the gospel central to our lives and living in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel, it really, really matters. And Paul wants us to realize as Jesus' followers, whenever we allow ourselves to be distracted from the gospel and all of its implications in all of our lives, we have already been snared by the devil and we're being used as his pawn to do what he wants, which is to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and shut down the powerful advance of the gospel to the nations. You, you want to get the de- devil worked up? Just do what we've been trying to do around here. We're fixing to start next Sunday night, the International Learning Center, where we purposely are reaching out to our community to teach English as a service, but to love those who don't speak English, and all with the goal, ultimately, of winning them to Jesus Christ. When you get intentional about that, guess what happens? The enemy comes, right? He wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He's not concerned about the church of Jesus Christ when it's not reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you get busy about reaching the lost in your community, you can expect attacks. The work of the enemy, spiritual warfare happening all over the place. But according to this, God can... And God often does call folks back from the grip of Satan's snares and manipulations. I don't know about you, but every time I read those words, I just tremble to think that it's, it's possible. It's a reality for me. I could be caught in the snare of Satan. I could be being manipulated and used like a pawn on a chessboard in Satan's work to destroy the body of Christ and and stop the spread of the gospel in this place. So could you. God can and often does call folks back from the grip of Satan's snares and manipulation, but according to these verses, there are times when it doesn't happen without confrontation and corrective teaching. And you see, if we really love one another, and a professing brother or sister has been taken captive by the devil to do his will, they're being manipulated by the devil like a pawn on a chessboard, then we'll do what it takes to, 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 to free them from those chains. I mean, let me just ask you the question, would you not want, you, would you not want to be free from such a trap in a dangerous place, even if you didn't realize you were there? Right now in your sane, in your right mind as I'm asking you that question, can't you tell me that's what you would want? If you could see it, you know you'd want out. Of course, in the middle of it, sometimes we don't see it, do we? When we're in chain, when we're in the middle of it, when we're, when, we're, when we're being used and manipulated by Satan for his ends, we don't see it. But wouldn't you want us in love to come and free you? I would. 
So as Paul, a little bit later in this book, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Be clear, be even confrontational if you have to, but in it all, be full of gentleness in this matter of gospel correction. We must be characterized by humble gentleness and a readiness to patiently teach, but we must never back down from loving one another enough to actually correct all from love and all for the other's good. You see, we can be shaped by the gospel so that we are useful to and unashamed before our Father. This gentle correction is step one. We're fixing to look at step two as we look at point number six, point number three for the day, however you've got it outlined in your brain. But this gentle correction is step one. But in some situations, there may have to be a step two. The sixth and final characteristic of useful and unashamed Jesus followers and Jesus gatherings that will endure even in suffering is not just a, 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 a gentle, gentleness in, in, in gospel correction, but a commitment to gospel discipline. Now, this would be a subject that's not often discussed, is it? Chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 because we need to. Stretch break. Everybody stand up for the reading of chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is the most important part of the message because it's the most infrequently addressed part of the message, and I want you to make sure you're with me on this. Paul says, having just told him, be gentle, be ready to teach, be kind, love, try to correct. Chapter 3, verse 1, but, but. That is step one, and you must take step one every single time. And when it works, you're done. When that gentle teaching, when that loving correction happens and things are made right, you're done. But understand this. It doesn't always work that way, Paul says. Because in the last days, there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then he says these three horrific words, avoid such people. Let me just clarify something. He's not talking with people in the world. Verses 1 through 5 are about people in the church. And of those people, he says, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I don't know what all that means, and so that's about all I'm going to say on verse 6. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, I will say here, by this time in history, they had apparently they had found out the names of the, some of the magicians who opposed Moses as he was dealing with Pharaoh in the Exodus. That's, that's what scholars tell us that, that this reference is, 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 that they two of the Egyptian magicians were named Janus and Jambres, and they opposed Moses. So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified, disqualified regarding the faith. That's a strong phrase, but they will not get very far. For their folly 
will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You may be seated. Most commentators agree that after patient attempts to gently correct, this passage, especially verse verse 5, is it? The end of verse 5, avoid such people, refers to an official action of the church where these folks are excluded from the fellowship whereby the church is saying that such folks are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit and therefore, despite their best attempts at correction and love and restoration, these people are harming the reputation of Jesus and must be disassociated from the body of Christ in that local place. Now, there are a couple of passages at this point to consider as we think about this idea of of a commitment to, to, to discipline, to gospel discipline. The first is, is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 13. Long passage, yes. We're going to read through it because you need to hear it. We're not going to expound the whole thing, but hear the Word of God. Different scenario, different kind of sin in the church at Corinth. But verse 1 says, It's actually reported that there's a sexual immorality among you, the church at Corinth, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. There's a guy in their church... He's a professing believer, he's, one, he's a church member, and he's sleeping with his dad's wife. And you, the church, Paul says to the, the Corinthians, are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who's done this be removed from among you. That's clearer than even our passage. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When This is how it works. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. For the glory of Christ and for the ultimate salvation of this man, you are to disassociate him from the church. You're to excommunicate him. You're to disfellowship him from the church. You're to turn him over to Satan, so to speak, so that hopefully through the process of the destructiveness of his own sin, God in his mercy will turn him and he will ultimately be saved. By the grace of God, he'll return. A little parenthesis, just a little secret. You'll see in just a few minutes, this man came back. It worked. It sounds awful. It is awful, right? Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you, you know, the deal, the deal was the Corinthians were saying, man, we got a great church. Got a guy sleeping with his dad, or his, his, his um, dad's wife, but I mean, we're, we're, we're an awesome church. Y'all, y'all to come. They were proud of themselves. And Paul says, your boasting's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You're all affected by the sin of the one. Cleanse out the old leaven. You may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter, by the way, this is a letter we don't have. This is 1 Corinthians. We don't have a, a, a before 1 Corinthians. It's a letter we don't have. I wrote you to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Listen, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Amen? I mean, you can't go to the store and not be around some of those kind of people all over the place. You can't go to work and not be surrounded by unbelievers who are those people listed there. Paul said, I'm not talking about the people in the world 
But now I'm writing to you, verse 11, to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or just while I'm at it, greed, or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, is it not those inside the church whom you, the church, are to judge? God judges those outside, verse 13. Quoting from the Old Testament, purge the evil person from among you. Well, I told you at work. Let me show you where I found that. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5. 2 Corinthians. Moving over a letter. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5. Apparently, the church at Corinth did exactly what Paul said, and they turned this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And apparently, it worked because we read in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. He's referring to the same man that was in sin. He, he, he hurt the reputation of the church. Paul said, I'm, I'm not even there. He's not personally affecting my ministry, but he's affected yours. I understand that's been hard. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. In other words, you're turning him out. You're excommunicating him. You're disfellowshipping him for his own good and for the glory of Christ. It's enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Now do you hear Paul? For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive indeed. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Listen, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Oh, there's so much here and we don't have time, but let me just let me summarize it. Satan wants to ruin the church on the front end and on the back end. You following? He, ruins, he wants to ruin us th- on the front end through the, through the irreverent babble that is like gangrene that destroys the church. But then if we're bold enough and, 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 and obedient enough and, 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 and if we have the faith to trust our Savior and do discipline when it's needed, and it works. God works. And, and, and someone who's been living in sin repents and comes back. Then Satan wants to get in on the action then too. Why? He wants to make you keep them at arm's length, even though they're repentant. He wants to make the church not let them back in, not welcome them, embrace them in love in their repentance. Keep on holding against them whatever it was that they didn't, would not repent of initially when confronted. And Paul says, we're not ignorant of his designs. Satan would destroy the faith of that brother through, a, through, 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 through an unforgiving church that won't restore and welcome back. Hear me, folks, and we're going to read it in just a minute. The goal is always restoration to the body of Christ. Church discipline that is punitive and only, and, 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 and in some sense, only punitive and never looks to and even works toward restoration and reconciliation with God and with the body, it is not biblical church discipline. I don't care if it happens in local churches. And so Paul says, I beg you, I love this language, I beg you. This is the one I told you to get out of the church. And now I'm telling you, I'm begging you to reaffirm your love for him. You make sure that that person who is now repentant, who's turned away from his sin and is, and is wanting to come back into the fellowship, you make sure there's no question in their mind. You love them. You forgive them. You 
like them are a sinner saved by grace. The ground's level at the foot of the cross, and you could have been them just as easily as they went where they went. The other passage, quickly and finally, is Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. This talks about the process even more. This talks about what we've been saying. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. And that doesn't mean more spiritual. That just means you who are walking with the Spirit, in the Spirit. The Spirit's got control of you at that particular moment, at least. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we see one another struggling in sin, we must fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, by bearing that burden with the brother. We must go to each other. We must help each other. We must talk to each other and say, I want to help you. I love you. I want want to restore you. I don't want you to stay in this dangerous place. I don't want you to become gangrene in the body of Christ. And we must humbly and gently work to restore. And and in the doing, we must keep watch of our own selves, lest we too be tempted. You know, when sometimes when we start to correct somebody, we can quickly get self-righteous, can't we? We need to be preaching the gospel ourselves in the middle of that whole thing, realizing we could be that brother, that sister. We could be the one tomorrow who falls into sin and needs confronting and rescuing from the snare of Satan. We must have a commitment to gospel discipline. Church of Jesus Christ, East L.J. Baptist Church, do you have a commitment to church discipline? It's the only loving thing to do, and it's the only way to honor and glorify the beauty of the holiness of our God and His grace in Jesus. And just in case anybody's wondering, as far as I know today, there's not a need for this. As far as I know today, been here five years. There's not been a need for this by the grace and mercy of God. But 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 6 are true. But understand this. This is what the body of Christ will look like in these last days. We can be shaped by the gospel so that we are useful to and unashamed before our Father. And so we must have a commitment to discipline. You know, the older I get, the more useful to my master I want to be, don't you? I don't have long, I don't have that much time left. I'm going to be 47 years old this year. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, I and mean, that's getting awful close to the big five. Oh, Alan, I'm not there yet, but you know, we talked about that my last birthday. I'm, I'm awful close to the big five. Oh, Some of you got less time than I do, I'm just saying. (laughs) I don't want to waste it. To get serious now, I don't want to waste any more time being useless in the kingdom of God because I'm over halfway done with my time here. I have wasted plenty of time. Can we just confess? Throughout my life in useless pursuits and sin, have you not? Years, perhaps? But you see, my bucket doesn't have to leak. Your bucket doesn't have to leak anymore. We can be shaped by the gospel so that we are useful to and unashamed before our Father. And we've seen that we do that by pursuing and living in faithfulness to God's Word, holiness in God's family, purity in God's house, discernment with discernment for gospel clarity, with gentleness in gospel correction, and with commitment to gospel 
discipline. What's it going to be? Useful and unashamed or useless and catastrophically destructive in the body of Christ? You see, there's not a middle ground. We, we pretend there's a middle, right? We pretend there's just this coast place where we just kind of kind of coast. I mean, you know, I'm not like super committed to the kingdom of God, but I mean, like I'm not total pagan living in deep sin over here. Kyle, this morning in Sunday school, Jesus said, you know, the deal is I wished you were hot or cold because lukewarm makes me want to vomit. And lukewarm is actually damaging. Useful and unashamed. That's the goal. Let's pray.